We're going to see an increase in voters uh, of, of all parties and mostly uh, looking, looking like mostly independents. From the Las Vegas Review-Journal, this is RJ Politics. And I'm thrilled to be back in Nevada. Hello, Nevada. We're governor for all the state of Nevada. I have more energy than a pack of wolves. Nevada is enormously important. Hello and welcome to RJ Politics, which is, in theory, the Las Vegas Review-Journal's weekly political podcast. I'm politics reporter Rory Appleton. And I'm politics and government editor Steve Sebelius. The podcast took a break for the holidays, which I have now learned are kind of a big deal here in Las Vegas. But we're back now to look forward to a huge new year in local and national politics. But first, let's talk a little bit about former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro. He dropped out of the presidential race last week, endorsed Senator Elizabeth Warren on Monday, and he's here in Las Vegas stumping for her this weekend. So what, what do you think about all that, Steve? Yeah, that was, um, you know, it, it probably wasn't that surprising because of his status in the polls and his inability to raise money, wasn't able to get onto the debates. Um, but I, I, I thought it was, I mean, and I said this on Twitter, I thought it was sad to see because he was talking about issues and bringing up issues that none of the other candidates were talking about. And so losing a voice like that, especially earlier in the process uh, before, you know, even the first votes have ever been cast, uh, the debates haven't even concluded – uh, I thought it was, uh, was too bad that uh, that uh, that had happened. Definitely, definitely. I, yeah, I don't think it was super surprising. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of had him, you know, on a list of, of folks who might get out, and he's one of those who's sort of taking a pragmatic approach. He's not rich and self-funding and going to stay in forever. I think he was staying in as long as he saw a way in, so to speak. Uh, and he was the one who was, you know, as it was happening, basically sort of live tweeting the fact that he was getting basically boxed out and that candidates of color gets bo- get boxed out and that voters of, you know, of, you know, who are Latino or African-American are often underrepresented in polls. He was there complaining very correctly that Nevada hasn't been polled in two months now it's been. Um, I mean, and then that's, that's a very interesting subject. I was asked yesterday by CBS about, you know, what do I think is going to happen in the next poll? And I really don't know. I'm two months. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. You saw Biden doing so well, and now I don't know, but it really is a shame that I, I think for a lot of the candidates that like a Castro, a Harris, some of them couldn't at least make it to some of these early state contests. And we can just sort of see like, okay, the polls are the polls, but that's not, necessarily an accurate representation of where voters are at, or certainly where they're going to be in February and March. So it's a shame that they couldn't make it. It is a shame that, you know, it's cutting down in this way. But at the same time, you know, it it always was going to cut down. And so we we were, you know, we weren't going to have a nominating contest of 13 and 14, 15 people, you know, this, this late in the year. And so it is, it is interesting. He was somebody who really prioritized Nevada, who came here quite a lot, who I saw quite a lot, who did a lot of interesting things from obviously going down into the the tunnels under the strip to, you know, doing food banks and doing, you know, some going to the, the, the swap meets and things like that, like doing things and, and going to protests, like just protests that just happened to be happening in the city that day. He did a lot of interesting campaigning here locally that I think, mm-hmm. you know, probably a lot of folks who were there as well might remember, like, hey, here's this guy from Texas. We don't really know him, but he's running for president. That's kind of cool. He looks like us. He has the same kind of background as us. But, you know, it, it it is what it is. I guess you just, 
you have to play the game as it, as it is laid out, and it, it just it just didn't seem to work out for him. Well, you know, I talked to uh, uh, somebody uh, yesterday, a Latino person who's involved in politics, and you know, he told me that uh, you know the debates aren't going to change because the DNC hasn't changed, and until that happens, you, we're going to see the same kind of thing. And uh, Julian Castro, you know, his his campaign was very frustrated toward the end, and you could tell. Uh, by a number of things. Uh, first of all, Tom Steyer drops millions of dollars into the race, and he's a factor. And um, Michael Broom- Bloomberg drops millions of dollars race, and he's a factor. And candidates who have to raise money, you know, they, they can't compete with that. And I understood that frustration totally. Um, you, you mentioned the frustration with the, the, the polling and how polling uh, doesn't necessarily uh, reflect always candidates of color. I mean, the, the DNC set the polling and fundraising as, as uh, standards for, you know, getting into the debate. And I suppose that's just as good uh, as any other standard. But I thought that they probably should have given some credit to resume as well. If you have a resume like Ulian Castro's where you are uh, the head of an executive branch department, I think that qualify. I think that makes you a real candidate. If you're a United States senator, if you've managed to get elected to a statewide race, I think you're a legitimate candidate. Now, maybe not a member of Congress, because that's a little easier to do. But if you've reached a pinnacle where you're like a United States senator, uh, the head of a cabinet department, vice president of the United States, I think that should count for something in the debate. Some level of, 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 uh, of uh, a credit should be given so that you can get into the debate. And, you know, the more time you have in the debate, the, vo- the voters can decide. Now, I didn't think what, uh, you know, when his dust up with Joe Biden, I thought that was pretty bad. I also thought it was pretty bad that he tried to back off uh, uh, trying to tell people well, I wasn't saying what you think I was saying when he was saying exactly what we thought he was saying. But, uh, but, but I totally get it. And, and, you know, both from a parochial perspective and a professional perspective and also just as a citizen and a voter, I thought what he said was right about the early states not reflecting candidates of color at all and how we need to shake up the lineup of this, the nominating states if we're going to really be serious about getting diversity in. So I thought, you know, for all those reasons, I thought he should have been in the debates and I thought he should have been able to stick around a little bit longer. And I think, you know, who knows, if he had been in more debates, would he have raised more money and, and, and been higher in the polls? Probably so. Yeah, I mean, I think he, I think he, made his presence felt in the debates that he was in. And I think you saw his campaign. I mean, it's hard to tell because campaigns are going to, you know, inflate themselves and spin things in the way. But you saw, you know, after those debates, it does seem like he actually, oh, here I made, you know, this amount of money, a pretty good amount of money. You know, I, I, I it's, an interesting, it's an interesting situation because you also have like, you have the candidates who sort of bought their way into some legitimacy. And then you just, you have the candidates like like Warren and Sanders, I that, that built this machine over years, mm-hmm. and you know, say we we had some sort of limit and like how much you could put in of your own money or anything like that, you know, there was still going to be incredibly difficult for anybody to break into this race because Sanders, especially, has been running for this race for five <laughs> years essentially. I mean, because everything that he did in in the twenty sixteen race. He just rolled right over to this and, you know, and kept it building and, and had a machine that's not been seen before sort of a thing. And so I really feel like a lot of the folks trying to break in 
had a had a tough time, but at the same time, some have. I mean, Andrew Yang is is in and is making money, and he's yeah. he's going to be in there. So I, somehow he had he had a few things that resonated with voters enough to where now yep. he is making enough money to still be able to buy an ad or two in this the Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg ad race. Yeah, he's got a tremendous online presence yeah. too. I mean, you know, our podcast with him you know, was shared so much by his followers. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most listened to podcast. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but yeah. yes, it is true. I'm being told it's true. <laughs> uh, and, and that's because of this this network. You you can't buy that. I mean, yeah. that's not something you can just buy. Yeah. That, that's something that you have to build. And he has resonated with a lot of people who are tech savvy and who are social media savvy. And the Yang gang is, is a real thing. Yeah, and I mean, and then even, I think the same is sort of true, just like, Amy Klobuchar has just been solid. Like she just maintained a solid, solid base. And now she's finally getting to the point. And it was funny because I interviewed her in August and I was like, when are you coming to Nevada? She had no staff here and stuff. And she's like, well, you know, I don't have as much money as everybody else. I've got $7 million. She just told me flat out, I got $7 million in the bank right now. She's like, I got to make that last and I got to make that work. It's a long way Mm -hmm. from between August at the time and February, but we will eventually, you know, I'll, I'll I'll work my way up there. And and she surely did. That's exactly what she did. Now she's got more than $7 million available. Well, she'll be here this weekend too. So she she probably got frequent flyer points to get out here to Nevada. Yeah. I mean, her and everybody else will be here this weekend, but yeah, I, on the on the Julian Castro thing, I, I was a little surprised at just how quickly the pivot to top level Warren surrogate slash possible running mate, like what? Like I mean, it was days later. He was yeah. there was a fully pro shot where he's I think going to her house. I think it's her house. And there's a whole commercial about it. Now he's here, like announcing for it. It's gotta be Sort of, I just look at it online. It's been sort of jarring because you know here he has followers and staff and stuff. I'll be interested. I will be going to his event, and it'll be interesting to see exactly what that looks like. Is he is he going to be actively trying to recruit his own people or like people who are supporting him, or is he going to be making a case, you know, to Latino voters, African American voters on Warren's behalf? Is that his role in this? I think um, that's probably that's probably it. I think yeah. it is. Plus, it's also remember it's also his future because he's a young guy. Yeah, and and he put it the the way he put it when he left is is now is not our time, which clearly implies that his time will come yeah. in the future and it may come what if the end of the eight years of the Warren administration so yeah. <laughs> well he he struck me as one and we talked about this before all of the candidates who would make solid running mates or who would be good in cabinet position he's already held a cabinet position yeah. and he's one like a Beto O'Rourke sort of a thing where he, he kind of needs a job too like I, I we talked about you know if I'm like Kamala Harris and I'm a senator in California Am I going to leave that position, you know, to to be in the cabinet or even be a running mate? I mean, maybe, but yeah. it's it's you know it's kind of hard hard well, to say. Depends which, how she polling in California right now because <laughs> honestly, uh, that was one consideration when she dropped out was okay. I'm going to drop out of the presidential race, turn my attention to reelection, and how is that going to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway. Um, Julian Castro's out, but he's back in town. He's back in town this weekend, so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, and on that same subject, we have uh, – there was a message sent out this week um, on Monday, actually, by uh, an assemblywoman, first-term assemblywoman, Selena Torres. She represents District 3. 
uh, and she was talking about race in the race. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to read uh, a little bit of it. Um, uh, where she says, quote, it's unfortunate that the field might winnow down to all white frontrunners before Nevada, the most diverse early state in the primary, has a chance to make its voice heard. We've seen candidates of color fail to meet arbitrary metrics that predominantly benefit billionaires and non-diverse candidates, which is a loss to our communities and the issues we care about. In December, Cory Booker came to Nevada and met with the Latino community to hear their stories. While they're often made to be the audience at, this, at these types of roundtables, Cory invited members to the table and heard from each of them. Leaders like Cory, who have persistently invited communities of color to the table when making policy decisions, must have a voice. We can do better. There's still time to ensure that communities of color in Nevada and South Carolina have a say in this process. We need to ensure candidates of color who have invested and demonstrated a commitment to our communities are viable through the early states. We have a voice and we must stand together. So clearly, she's upset as well about uh, uh, the, the loss of Julian Castro. And she also was backing Julian Castro, but also in the fine tradition of a caucus state, backing Cory Booker, who she mentioned mm-hmm. in, in, that, uh, in that statement. Now, ironically, when I read that, I couldn't help think of the real clear politics polling averages. And uh, I looked them up uh, just to see how in the very diverse early state of Nevada, candidates of color were doing. And the breakdown comes like this. Biden, old, white, and male, 29%. Warren, older, uh, white, and female, uh, 20%. Sanders, again, old, white, and male, 19.8%. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, number four, but a big drop-off, 7.3%. Uh, this this uh, has uh, Kamala Harris, who's since dropped out of the race, at 4%. Uh, Tom Steyer, 3.5%. Thank you, television advertising. It pays to advertise. Andrew Yang, the Yang Gang, 3%. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, 2%. Cory Booker, one3 Julian Castro, 1.0. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, also 1.0. And uh, Michael Bennett, uh, who will be on the caucus lineup at 0.3%. So even in our diverse state, with the diverse voices, the polls, at least these, and, and that's the average, by the way, of the last 11 polls that have been done in the state of Nevada. And as you said, one hasn't been done since November 13th. Um, all the candidates, the top candidates are all white. You have to go down to, uh, you have to go down at five places to find a candidate of color, and that candidate has already dropped out. So, uh, so, so I think she does have a point but it's interesting that the polling is not reflecting the diversity of Nevada. I haven't seen the South Carolina polling, but I, I imagine it's largely along those same lines with Biden leading. Well, yeah, I think Biden's way up in South Carolina. I saw somewhere he was in the 40s in South Carolina. It, it The interesting thing about this and what a lot of people have told me as I've been around and going to events is that – there's a good chunk of Nevada voters that haven't sort of come online yet who haven't who you know after the holidays is when they look or even you know to be somewhat cynical about it the week before the caucus the day before the caucus <laughs> the day of the you caucus know, yeah the day of the caucus yeah i have a feeling that my online viewership numbers will spike on that 21st <laughs> to 22nd but who are all these people in there i've got 500 stories about you know the, what the, what they've done and what they've said here well the review journal is here for you uh, exactly. listeners when you need to know we will have our coverage there Coming waiting up. for you it's online and you can get it at reviewjournal.com yep and uh, it, it, it it is I, – I also thought that. You know, I, I 
as Julian Castro was here and making this big push, and even part of the push being, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't have two mostly white states as the first f- few states. Maybe we should have Nevada, you know, up higher or South Carolina up higher and stuff. Yeah. I was also thinking about that. I'm like, and and Booker too. Booker's been here so so much and worked so much and everything, and to that he's polling so low has always kind of surprised me. Me, it re- and I don't know that what surprises that is. me too. And and it's like I don't, y- you just don't know with polls. You just don't know whether to be like, well, I mean, I think it shows that you know that them saying that you know the diverse candidates you know are going to have a big showing here might not be true, or is what they're saying true in that the communities most likely to support those diverse candidates are being underpolled and things like that. I mean, uh, that may be a bit, I, I just don't get it. Now we follow this all the time. So yeah. we see the candidates in a different light and more frequently than the, than the average person. But the Cory Booker thing really surprises me because yeah. the, 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 he is very intelligent, very um, uh, good on his feet. I, I couldn't crack him yeah, during my, never. during my interview nope. uh, with him. Uh, he's talking about all the right issues. Virtually the only thing that the only mark against him, as far as I'm concerned, is his veganism. But I think <laughs> I think you know I think we're ready for a vegan president in in the United States. I mean, he he is right on top of all the issues, uh, and uh, I just don't I just don't get it. I, I really uh, you know when I first interviewed him, I said to myself, he is going to do very well. He is going to pull very highly, and it hasn't happened. And and I am surprised about that. Yeah, I feel like every time he does an event, and, and Castro too, that people are satisfied. Like, and in 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 forum type events where they're all up against each other, I felt like, well, this crowd's got it. They got as big a pop as anybody. I I did a progressive forum somewhat recently, and it was Sanders, Castro, and Yang. And Castro was beloved at that. It was planned, the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada, and 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 Castro was loved. And and everything he said, right on. And Yang was not. <laughs> Yang <laughs> had a couple of sour. He didn't immediately commit to never storing waste in Yucca Mountain, which is a no-no in this state yes. among the Democrats. That'll get you in trouble. And so, so, so he wasn't. But Yang's still in the race, and and he's not. So it is interesting to see. Uh, I mean, you know, we'll just we'll just have to see. I, I'll be interested to see if the field whittles anymore. If Cory Booker can hang on, as he's not on the debate stage, I think anybody who's on the debate stage now is probably going to be in it. They're yeah. they're in it. I think Cory Booker is really, you know, there's a number of ones who haven't been on the debate stage in months, like a John Delaney or something, where if they drop, nothing's going to happen. But I think if Cory Booker can just hang on, it will be really interesting to see. I hope he does. Honestly, I hope I hope, I hope so he does. Yeah, yeah, because I think he's got he's got an important voice in the race, and uh, and, and uh, I think he should stick in as long as he possibly can. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, sort of along the same vein, it is the first podcast of the year, even though, uh, you know, I think it's the 10th as this comes out. Um, I did want to look ahead to some of the big stories. We've talked quite a bit about the election. I've heard that there is also an impeachment underway. <laughs> uh, you just, Not yet. Just, <laughs> just between the last taping of this podcast stuff, we've there's just a little bit of things going on in the Middle East. There's there's a lot that's going to be unwrapped in 2020. Is there anything in particular that is of total total interest to you? Like, well, I think uh, I I think the the usual things that we would we would talk about. You mentioned a few: the impeachment, obviously, uh, the caucus, February 22nd, uh, our primary election for our state officers. That's going to be on June 7th, and our general election, of course, November. The third, um, but I think there's three other things that uh, that I'll be watching for as as kind of big stories as the year unfolds. First is going to be 
and, and believe it or not, I'm not, I'm not joking, this is a serious one, judicial filings. And what I'm going to be looking for in the judicial filings, specifically in the Supreme Court, in, in many recent races, those are unopposed seats. Someone will file and no one will file a run against that person. And so those seats, you win essentially by filing. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your name will appear on the, on the uh, general election ballot. And uh, if one person votes for you, presumably yourself, you're, you're mm-hmm. in. So I think this time it may be different. There's, there's certainly a race, Mark Gibbons' race for Supreme Court, that is shaping up to be a good one. It's already got two candidates. That's uh, District Court Judge Jug Herndon and Assemblyman Ozzie Fumo. Uh, Herndon would be a former prosecutor, more law and order type guy. Ozzy Fumo, we all know and love Ozzy Fumo as uh, a, a very spirited defense attorney and uh, state lawmaker. So I think, you know, watching those Supreme Court seats, how they play out is going to be a really interesting uh, thing. Uh, the uh, Number two, um, this year for the first year ever, we're going to have not only early voting in the caucus, but we're going to have same-day voter registration. So you will be able to vote even to the very last uh, um, uh, moment of voting. And that was a reform passed by the 2019 uh, legislature. So you'll be able to register during the early voting process. You know, when, when people, as we were talking about, you know, people don't pay attention to the very end, you'll be able to do that this year and how that will change things. Uh, and then I think also uh, the, this motor voter, the automatic opt-in voter registration, that is part of that. We're going to see an increase in voters uh, of, of all parties and mostly uh, looking, looking like mostly independents. Uh, the role of independence is going to be uh, high. And what role they play both in the registration and then on Election Day, I think, are going to be some of the interesting stories we'll be covering. That's interesting that you did, you did mention the early voting because that was something else that came up as I was talking, you know, some national folks were asking me about the race. I, I really think that's very interesting because it seems to me coming here, the whole the whole caucus thing, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to is seeing what that's like. I mean, just like to watch it and and to see how the results come in and, and, and how that looks because it's interesting. Actually, we were just, you know, this has been a very long Cory Booker episode, but Cory Booker's staff was actually one of the ones who told us, and 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 he was Eric, his one of his senior advisors here, was telling me um, that you can you can play the math sometimes in your favor and and snag sort of you're you're looking for the fifteen percent sort of a thing, and you can snag you know a few delegates. Uh, by playing in specific areas of town here in Las Vegas and specific parts of Nevada. So I am interested to see. So they're thinking, you know, it's not a necessarily a, a, a quantitative thing where, you know, we don't have as many people as, as Sanders. We know that we don't have as many people. What we're hoping is that we can get people like they were speaking specifically about North Las Vegas with a very large African-American population and, and different parts like that where we can you know, we can own that little area and, and then we add it all up and we see how it breaks down. So I'm interested in seeing that, but I also think the early voting thing is very interesting because that to me, I think kind of removes a lot of the, I wouldn't say like stigma, but the sort of concern that somebody who's not very politically active might have in a caucus where you go, you you do it all day, you might be uncertain of the rules and you don't want to know how you fit you might be uncertain of people sort of knowing your pick so to speak by standing in your groups or whatever and you can go and give them you know your top i think it's three three or five or something Mm -hmm. like that and and be done with it and be be a part of it and counted but in almost sort of a primary way where you go you you fill it out and then you leave and so i think that the 
option to both. I, I think that the turnout is going to be a lot higher because of that. It just Most seems, definitely. it just seems like it's perfect. And it's a, it's a mix of a lot of things. It's, you know, that the fact that the Democrats are offering ballots in Tagalog for the first time, the fact that, you know, there's all these places you can early vote mm-hmm. and things like that. I, and obviously, yeah, same day registration is a big one too. I'll be interested and, to see if the, uh, if the caucus breakdown matches what we see in the primary in general in terms of early voting. Cause uh, you know, when early voting came, people said, well, it's, it's basically going to give people, uh, make it easier, increase turnout. I don't know that it's necessarily increased turnout, but it has made it a lot more convenient. And so you see about 60% go vote early and then 40% on election day. Sometimes those numbers are, 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 are they tend to shift. I wonder if that's going to be the case in the caucus. If 60% of the people who go to a caucus are going to caucus in those early voting times, so they don't have to do the thing you're describing, going mm-hmm. down there and declaring your choice, and and all that. Um, but uh, but I I just uh, I think I'll be interested to see how that breaks down because I think that's going to be an, an interesting component. And uh, again, it was something the DNC wanted states to do to figure out how to get more people involved uh, in the process and uh, get their names, get their addresses, get their phone numbers, get their email addresses, so that. You know, they can be cajoled constantly until they actually go and cast that ballot. Uh, those names are not thrown away. They go into a database, and that database goes in, in front of a guy making a phone call or a woman making a phone call, and they will call you repeatedly more than Jenna from NV Energy until they get <laughs> you to go to those polls. I'm also sort of interested, too, to see what the – the Democratic registration numbers kind of look like leading up to it because, you know, we're doing this project on nonpartisan voters. It's been a couple of months now, and I'm working on another story coming out pretty soon where I am starting to talk to actual voters. And one thing that has surprised me just a little bit is a number of folks who are looking to basically switch in to Dem so that they can participate, but do consider themselves to be nonpartisan or independents or, yeah. or even in one in one case and probably more than one you know former republican types and stuff and i will be interested to see if that is a factor because we we've always that's always been like sort of a, a rumor when i talk to folks about you know how many people you know switch just for the the early nominating contest because they want to have a like you know are a bunch of republicans going to switch in to vote for tulsi gabbard to throw the whole thing in? probably not <laughs> but um but you know the people who because She's of the still close, in the race people because She's of the close system you know, the people who can't participate, how many of them are going to just jump in and, and do and give it a shot? So that's something yeah. that, you know, we're certainly going to be looking for. And the other thing. Well, that's one thing that's a downside of being an independent. Yeah. That's not the case from our home state of California. No. Is you can be an independent there, but you can still have yes. your, your choice in the in the nominating stage of the, of the contests. Mm-hmm. And here in Nevada, that is not the case. If you want to be, uh, if you want to influence the Republican nominee, you have to be a Republican. Mm-hmm. Although in this case, you really can't because the party's already decided to bind their delegates that's to Trump. True. That's true. The, the other thing that I'm interested in is something that I just recently wrote, you know, a story about for the Review Journal, which is essentially what role does Nevada play after the caucus? And what does what does February to November look like for the state? And, you know, we, we've heard from, from Trump folks, uh, from campaign members, all, all, you know, from basically from the top of his campaign on down to the state level here, he thinks he can win the state. He's got a lot of friends here. He's got, you know, all those various things he's got. Obviously, he's had a presence here for a long time mm-hmm. uh, and been involved here and knows a lot a of people. A golden no presence. Doubt. Yeah. No, looming no, over the strip. No doubt about that. And so 
you know, are you know, are we going to see him? Because that's the other thing we haven't. He hasn't been here. I, I I think the answer to that is yes. I, I you know, there's a certain amount of uh, of uh, uh, puffing up the chest that goes on in the campaigns at the early stage. But here's why I think that what the Trump people are saying is is not just spin. It's not just them trying to fake the Democrats out. I think that Trump is aware of how he won in 2016. He is aware that the Democrats are aware of how he won in 2016 and that they're going to defend better the states that they lost in 2016 so they will win them this time. So Trump is aware that he is going to potentially have to find another path to the 270 electoral votes that he needs to win the nomination. And so I think he's looking at the whole board everywhere that he can add any number of votes. He can add six votes here. So I, I believe that he really does think he can play here and that there are staff here uh, who are working on that, that the party is working on that. They're training. They're trying to do everything they can uh, to to make this Trump country. Uh, and uh, he didn't lose by that much in, in 2016. And so I think he sees Nevada's legit you know, number to put in his column uh, because he knows he's not probably not going to get some of the states he won in in 2016 because the Democrats are going to be, you know, more wary and they're actually going to go to Wisconsin and and uh, and uh, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania and campaign harder there than they did in the last election. And that was something that was interesting that came up during the reporting of the story because I talked to former Senator Harry Reid, former Senator Rich Bryan, and and they had basically that was one element that they talked about. They were talked about two things. One was, yeah, the the Demo- I mean, Richard Bryan was very very harsh. I I felt uh, towards Hillary Clinton, basically saying, I don't know how a woman that smart with that many good people around her, that experience, you know forgot about that whole part of the country, yeah. essentially. <laughs> Talking about Michigan, Wisconsin, yeah. and, you know. Or, or took um, it for granted. Oh, yeah, for Ohio granted. and, you know, other other places like that. And so they do think that there'll be sort of a correction of course, like you're talking about, where the Democrats will be like, okay, no, we're going to go back. And yeah. Biden's talked about it himself. I mean, Biden has talked about, I'm going to go to Michigan and get those workers who Donald Trump, you know, and this is Biden's words, sold a, you know, a bill of goods, essentially, and bring them back to us. And we need to go back, we being the Democrats, to being the the working class party, because we weren't in this last election. I think that's true. Um, and so y- you could see that, too. Uh, the other thing that they talked about is the nominee. I mean, that's the important part. Um, you know, those retired folks around here, the more moderate folks, those people who've been in politics for a long time, they look at someone like Senator Warren or Senator Sanders, and they think this person might be trouble for Nevada because, you know, there are quite a lot of folks somewhere in the middle, um, both within the parties and unaffiliated. And, you know, the 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 sales pitch that that Trump gives might might sway some of those those folks who are working service industry or you know things like that people who you know he might be able to say I can do these exact things for you right now and that might be enough because that's all you you know some people don't have super lofty kind of political decisions that's how they make their choices yeah. so that was the other thing is who the nominee is and you know in Brian's case and a lot of folks' case they've endorsed Biden so you got to take that with a grain of salt but I do think. Whoever the the Democratic nominee is, 
it'll be interesting to see if they come back. I think that they, I, I tend to agree with everybody in saying that they probably will too. Just, just at least for a, one or two big, big rallies, huge rallies to just shore it up and, and solidify. And, and, you know, and also, you know, in the case of Biden and, and I think I imagine everybody will be this way, but it's also the impact on the down ballot and stuff too. It's, you know, we have two congressional races here that could, there could be challenges for. We have in Nevada, you know, huge majorities in the state houses that Democrats would like to keep and would like to have the help of the top of the ticket in doing so. And so I think that there's there's kind of a lot to play. I, I looking at it just as a math thing, I think, wow, you know, six Six is more than two, but it's not 30 or it's not. No, it's, it's not. You know. He's not going to put uh, himself over the top of Nevada, but every state counts. Totally. When you're adding up to 270, every state counts, and uh, and I think he wants the, the those uh, six votes. And I think the Democrats, if they've learned nothing else, I hope they've learned one lesson, and that is not to underestimate Trump because I think Hillary Clinton did that. I think Very so. much so, and her supporters did as well. They dismissed Trump's supporters mm-hmm. as deplorables, and, and they thought, well, how many of those people can there be? Well, mm-hmm. it turns out there were enough to give him the Electoral College. So, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I, I, if nothing else, I hope the Democrats have learned not to underestimate Donald Trump. That's a warning from Harry Reid, and I've often said this. Uh, I'm qualified to make this assessment. Harry Reid is the best political pundit in Nevada, mm-hmm. always has been, and he has said Donald Trump is very smart and should not be underestimated. Yep. Democrats heed the words of Harry Reid if you want to do well in this next election. It's true. That's exactly what he told me, too. They both – there's all sorts of sides to it there. You know, Harry Reid especially is like, we can't discount any of his decisions in, in the presidency, anything that looked we see as controversial or anything like that. It can all be spun, you know, in various ways by him. And, you know, it's you're going to need to come back to Nevada. I mean, obviously, they're going to make a push for their home state, but I, th- I think that they're right. You are going to need to go every to be everywhere at once, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you got to try and win back some of the battleground ones, but you got to keep what you've got as well. So, all right. I think that's probably enough for this week. Be sure to join us every Friday for new episodes and make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can find each of us on Twitter at, at Rory Does Phonics and at Steve Sebelius. I'm Rory Appleton. I'm Steve Sebelius. And thanks for listening.